Hey Topher, I was doing an etymology search because, well, who needs a reason? Turns out watch comes from the Proto-Germanic word watchen, meaning be awake. Interesting if true, Billy. So our podcast, We Watched a Thing, really just means we stayed awake for something. Uh, Yeah, or at least most of it. Well, having been awake is about all the credentials we can really lay claim to when it comes to talking about movies. Speak for yourself, I've got legit IMDB credit. Well, all the visual effects experience in the world doesn't change the fact that you found passengers so emotionally touching that you cried. Oh yeah, taste guidelines from the cameraman who likes Jedi more than Empire, really? Ewoks are the best. Are they? Yes. And if you, dear listener, feel there aren't enough semi-informed cinematic opinions in your life, then a weekly dose of We Watched a Thing is for you. We Watched a Thing. We stay awake in everything. Find us at wewatchedathing.com or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else good podcasts are found. Welcome to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime, and to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash contrarianprime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O V N I O. Now, time for the podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. As always, my name is Alex, joined by Julio. Julio, I I feel like a rat. It's it's really weird. We're not here to talk about John Travolta. This is as far as we could have gotten from the summer of Travolta, while remaining as close as we could have gotten to the summer of Travolta. <laughs> this is true. We, we there's a lot of the same ilk to this, but uh, we're back here to assume. The regular operations of this shindig we call the Contrarians. And for episode 68, we are here today to visit the 1997 uh, mob thriller Donnie Brasco, starring Al Pacino and um, Johnny Depp. I don't know how I almost uh, forgot about the star of the movie. A version of Johnny Depp. Yes. This is not fun and games Johnny Depp. This is not Johnny Depp that we that we love. This is not Captain Jack Sparrow. No. This is boring johnny depp i mean i don't want to get ahead of ourselves but it's... paint by numbers johnny depp so this is based on a true story based in brooklyn in 1978 it is the story of the man joseph d pistone an undercover fbi agent who infiltrated the mob in uh late 70s new york and this is one that uh, holds very high regard by critics and actors alike fresh it is fresh say, the tomato meter lingo in the vernacular of the contrarians it has a Fresh rating of eighty eight percent, so lots of uh, fresh red tomatoes. What what were the critics saying about Donnie Brasco? Just a small sample of quotes here, uh, starting with Michael Dequina from uh, themoviereport.com, dot com, who says, "A classy piece of work that may disappoint those looking for something more conventional." 
classy. AKA a good movie. They disembowel human bodies in this movie. <laughs> but classically. <laughs> they Robert Zombie served as the guest director for that scene. Uh, Mick LaSalle from San Francisco Chronicle says, a first-class mafia thriller that is also, in its way, a love story. Okay, Mick. Was this like Brokeback Mountain before its time? I guess. I mean, it is It is classier than Brokeback Mountain. Or what was that uh, Christopher Plummer movie? Beginners? Yes. Al Pacino yeah. is, is, is the beginner. Jeremy Hellman from MovieMartyr.com says, one of the most moving and insightful gangster films ever made. How, how do you even... <laughs> Did he even see Dick Tracy with Warren Beatty? Uh, Philip Martin from Arkansas Democrat Gazette <laughs> <laughs> says, Donnie Brasco is a fine movie, but it might just be best remembered as Johnny Depp's coming out party. What movie really? did he watch? <laughs> I was going to say, wasn't he already semi-established by this point? Also, I mean, he's all up on Anne Hesh on that, uh, in, in those stairs. There's, is he coming out as a straight male? <laughs> uh, no, but he did finish with a star. Check that. An actor is born. An nice. Actor. What was his name from the Arkansas Democratic Gazette? <laughs> Philip Martin. Well, Phil, well played. Him and uh, Leonard Malton, they do like a little podcast and they, they always do like, no relation. <laughs> uh, finally... Film four, uh, with no no credit. To the Returning back to the podcast. Yes, says uh, it's tempting to think Pacino stopped trying sometime in the mid nineteen eighties, but watch Lefty's elegiac final scene, and you might conclude that it's not Al's ability that dimmed; rather, it's the imagination of casting directors. Um, I mean, we we all watched. He was just the, Al Pacino. Yeah, and and I mean, you can't blame casting directors for. The stuff that he's done in his career, mm-hmm. you know, the Adam Sandler movie, and I don't know, Jack and Jill is that, is that what it is? Jack and Jill, uh, Righteous Kill. Yeah, you can't blame a casting director for that. <laughs> you could argue the casting director did like the one good thing in that movie. Let's get Pacino and De Niro. That was the only together. aspect of the movie that overachieved. <laughs> yes, um, but anyway, Contreras Corner is where we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Correct, regardless of how we feel. You want to know how we feel? Stick around for uh, Real Talk, which is the second half of the show. So, the aforementioned Al Pacino and Johnny Depp are the two stars of this film. Pacino playing Benjamin uh, Ruggiero, who we will refer to through this, as he is referred to all of the movie as simply Lefty. Uh, he is an aging gangster that has been in the mob, what he keeps saying, 30 years. He's so fucking repetitive. He's like the guy that gets let go of his job after 30 years. <laughs> uh, they just they give me a watch and a kick in the butt. And say, sorry, a computer took a job. Look her up. <laughs> Johnny Depp, who plays the titular character, Donnie Brasco. Again, real name, Joseph D. Pistone, uh, undercover FBI agent who poses a jewel thief. Um, now, right off the bat, it looks like Pacino is just kind of like this sad sack. Uh, a Randy the Ram type character. Not not my Al Pacino. That's really, it's, it's kind of like a bait and switch if you get... If you you're know, expecting a gangster movie yeah. with Al Pacino on the poster, right? You think that that's going to be like, oh, he's going to kick ass. The Godfather Four. I cannot wait. How many to see how many people he kills and how? To be fair, he does kill some people in this movie, but when yes. it happens, you're surprised that he can still aim and shoot. Tony Montana, this is not. Oh no, no. So he naturally wants to hitch his wagon to some a better looking, younger version of what he thinks is himself. Uh, and it just starts by him just kind of 
staring at Johnny Depp longingly across the bar. Depp rocking an amazing Freddie Mercury mustache at the beginning of this film. Uh, but the FBI makes him shave it off pretty promptly. Yeah. Uh, I want to believe he just showed up on set with that and like, all right, we got to get a few scenes out of this. Quick, give me the writer right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a uh, Pacino has has his gang of mobsters. I mean, it's not his gang. He's part of the gang, I guess. Uh, and they're basically what you get when you can't afford the Nero and Pecci and uh, Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta, or even I was going to say uh, Tom Sizemore. <laughs> Sizemore, even yes. I mean, who would think when you think gangster, you do not think Bruno Kirby? No, and yet. He's here basically playing the, the Joe Pesci role mm -hmm. in a comedic fashion. Like a Pesci caricature. Yeah. I don't think anybody told Bruno Kirby that they were doing a drama. And when so, I think mob boss, I think Michael Madsen. <laughs> I mean, when you think, I can't get Gandolfini, so I might as well get the next best thing. Get me La Paglia. <laughs> he's, he's taken. Well, get me his non-union working Mexican equivalent. We're go go wake up Madsen. Yeah. <laughs> We'll wake him up. <laughs> Getting way ahead of ourselves here. Uh, Donnie Brasco posing as a jewel thief. Um, I think if there's this. Is it a test? Do you think he's testing him here when he tries to sell him this ring to see if he knows it's fake? I. Now that we've seen the entire movie, no. I think the Pacino is so dumb that and old and senile <laughs> that he just bought this shit ring. As you see throughout the movie, you realize that. If he can't figure out that Johnny Depp is an undercover FBI agent, there's no way he figured out that those diamonds were no. not real. I mean, he 100% believes that he's trying to sell real diamonds. So he bought this ring for eight grand, and he's trying to sell it. And uh, Donnie Brasco tells him that's a fugazi. It's a fake. And he says, all right, we're going to take a ride. He goes where he bought the ring from, uh, and tells the guy, you know, he's telling me he sold him fugazi. What's that mean? And, you know, it's all this... I think someone just watched or hung out in Brooklyn a bit too long and heard all these cool, fun words and was like, I want to incorporate this into a film. We need to get the Fugazi in there. Write that, me a 10-minute Fugazi scene. That was a bit shoehorned. Uh, screenplay by Paul... Paul Fugazi. <laughs> screenplay by Paul Adonacio. I think he just hung out at a deli for about six <laughs> weeks straight and just picked up on all the local lingo. Uh, but this... Um, this jewelry dealer obviously knows that he's in deep shit, so Donnie Brasco, I guess, to prove himself to Lefty, just beats the shit out of him and takes his car. And then you can tell Pacino's eyes just widen. Like, this this man with the mustache, he's just suddenly... He goes, hooah. Pretty much. Pacino, even as a loser in this movie, he's always in hooah mode. Oh, yeah. Right? Which is just kind of... I don't know. It, can't you do anything else? <laughs> can't you just show some versatility? I mean, his version of 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 a loser gangster is just kind of like a bad parody of Robert De Niro. It's Robert De Niro in Silver Linings Playbook, ostensibly. <laughs> Robert De Niro kind of going for an Oscar, but not quite. <laughs> so we meet the rest of the gang, pun intended. Uh, Sonny Black, played by the aforementioned Michael Madsen. Uh, Sonny Red, who quickly rises to prominence in the, the mob in, for the intents of this film, played by uh, Robert Miano. Who? Sonny Red. He had red shoes. That's all I can tell you about him. The guy that you can't get when the guy that you get when you can't get the guy you were going to get to replace Gandolfini. <laughs> He's the third string Gandolfini. Um But the what's the name of the family? Uh Bonanno. Some mob boss is killed dead and it fucking shakes, it rattles the infrastructure. 
the boss. Yeah, exactly. Not Springsteen. No. no, that would have been a hell of a movie. If Springsteen was the mob boss, oh my god! <laughs> a movie that opens with Bruce Springsteen getting killed by the mob, and all of like, no, he has to be in the movie because so he can have dialogue where all his lines are the titles of his songs. Like Godfather, why they get killed? <laughs> because the net. So yeah, the infrastructure of the Brooklyn, the New York mob scene is completely jangled. It's like fucking when we start off in um, Force Awakens, where we get the the new order of the dark side. I thought you were going to go just pretty recently, like at the beginning of Get Shorty, when they kill the fat guy. <laughs> he has a heart attack, and then and then suddenly Travolta's in trouble. Point being, Michael Madsen, Sonny Black, is promoted to the captain of Brooklyn Operations, which really does not sit well with Lefty, because again, and he tells us again, he's dedicated 30 years of his life to this. You know, he deserves that promotion, which is it's not real work. It's not a real job. Yeah, that's not how it works in the in the mob world. No. It's not that, you know, you get your evals and, and you know, you get a little race here. performance review. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Here it's just basically you're stealing shit. So that's the reward. <laughs> I don't know that. And then you kill people and, and, and that's how it goes. By the way, this is a scene where they they gift Pacino a lion. Yes. How does that happen? And it, it's only uh, referenced once in the movie after that. It's a fucking lion. Let's do something with it. Right. It's like they cut from the lion being in the cage and Pacino being like, oh, shit, I got a lion now. And then they cut to Pacino and Depp feeding the lion, which is inside the car. How did they get? How did they get it home? <laughs> right. Where Where's home? Like more realistic. It would have been if they just cut to like Pacino putting a bullet in the lion's head. <laughs> like, fuck this. Pacino has an apartment. Like, is he just like <laughs> keeping it in the spare bedroom? For fuck's sake. Uh, speaking of homesteads, this is uh, at this point in the film we're introduced to uh, Joseph Pistone's real life, where he's married to that kooky Anne Hache, uh who plays the Maggie character, and they have three daughters. And it's, it's that wonderful character we've come to know uh, through many movies called Nagging Wife. Yes, who hates his job, and she just wants him to stick around for dinner. Yeah, is that so much to ask for Christmas dinner? And she has no interest in really hearing about his work or what he does. And it's uh, Jennifer Goodwin and Walk the Line. When you're home, you're home. I don't care about the road. I don't care about that Pacino. <laughs> I don't care about this Donnie character. We get a, we get a, what I thought was going to be, uh, speaking of kooky, you know, Johnny Depp. You think Edward Scissorhands, Ed Wood, Captain Jack Sparrow, right? Tim Burton. Tim Burton in general. When you when you see that him and Anne Hesh stop fighting and suddenly they're making out on top of the stairs, it's fucking uh, history of violence sex. They on the stairs, right. Yeah. I'm like, okay, we're this is why they cast Depp. We're about to see some weird shit. Yeah, and then it just fades out, and they're just in bed post coitus. They tease us with this wild things esque scene that's about to get out of control. Right. It's like, you don't you don't do that. You don't put Johnny Depp and Anne Hesh making out widely on top of the stairs and then not follow through. No. Or I'd rather follow through off off camera. Who's it? Ava Green that Johnny Depp has that wild sex scene with in that fucking Dark Shadows movie? Wow. Kudos to you, my friend, for remembering that. I've watched Dark Shadows. Yeah. <laughs> blocked from my memory. <laughs> I was going to say they just should have just cast Anne Heche. Uh, moral of the story is she hates the job, wants him back. Kids won't even talk to him. They have uh, family breakfast the next day. Kids won't say word one to him. 
Due to the ongoing and increasing drama with this case, uh, Washington's FBI office takes note of it. They send a representative down to meet with uh, Donnie, uh, Joseph, and they're basically trying to coax him into carrying the operation to Florida, if I caught that correctly. Yeah, they they have some other agent in Florida that, that could use some help. Richie Gazzo. Richie Gazzo. Did you get the actor's name? I know I looked him up, and I can, it's Rocco or something. It's R- Rocco... Rocco Sisto. I, Rocco Sisto, a.k.a. I could swear I know that guy from somewhere, but we went through his filmography. Sounds like it, a 40s vaudevillian actor. <laughs> I mean, he's a bunch of Come stuff. Come see the right? Italian, Rocco Sisto. Hey, Rocco. <laughs> exactly. I mean, everyone in this is just a caricature of an Italian. <laughs> Pretty much. It's just, uh, you know, you have the main mobsters, and then everybody in the background is, like, rejected extras from Greece. And, and yeah, exactly. But instead of, like, hey, oh, they say, forget about it. <laughs> That's realistic. That's another thing that the writer picked up. They, they all forget <laughs> about it. Ah, uh, it could mean this and this. Were you were you looking for Sonny from Greece? And uh, I am always looking for Sonny dude, from Greece. Sonny red, Sonny black, Sonny Greece. I was crossing my fingers. Didn't happen. He just shows up with like the mink coat over him. <laughs> Let's go get a slice of pizza. Hey. hey. So it is up to Donnie to coax. Uh, Sonny Black and the Brooklyn boys into moving an operation to Miami, at least visiting. Um, fucking Al Pacino clings to this. Like, I'm going to get away. He's, he basically sees retirement. Yeah. It's La Boca Vista. This is this is the, the Pacino Oscar clip that I, that I wrote here in my notes, uh, where he kind of gets to play a note that's not, you know, De Niro. Mm-hmm. This is just... Pacino old man. And, you know, I'll appreciate that. Human. Human. Human Pacino. Where he's just, uh, you know, they walk into this shithole bar that, that the other undercover agent is running. Yeah, they go to Miami and it's a club called the King's Court that they're thinking about taking over. And I do like here where Pacino, uh, um, Richie Gazzo is right there. And Pacino is in right in front of him, but he keeps talking to Donnie Brasco. He's like, I think you need to tell Richie to leave. <laughs> but yes, so it's a very metaphorical scene and a good Oscar scene because all around it's just this shithole, like you said, in this broken down building. I think Pacino sees a lot of himself in the structure of that facility. This is this is where the movie just misses a chance of really turning into something unexpected, something that we didn't... You know, if you're not going to give me The Godfather 4 with Pacino kicking ass again, mm-hmm. then just... Commit and give me the movie about the retired gangster. Just have Pacino fulfill his dream of buying this this bar in Florida. And then just give me like a solid 75 minutes of him just having adventures running this place and realizing that maybe, you know, wow, it, it's a lot more work than I thought being on the straight and narrow. And when someone orders like a shot, he rings a bell. He's like, who are on the table? <laughs> Coming in hot, but yeah, you have Johnny Depp busting tables, shirtless, just the suspenders with the the rag over it. Uh, but this is where Pacino airs his grievances and basically wears his heart on his shoulder. Not basically, he exposes himself uh, emotionally to Donnie Brasco to say, you know, what else do I have left? What else can I do? He has that line, maybe my favorite line in the movie. Even a dog gets a warm piece of sidewalk. <laughs> Jesus, who wrote this shit? 
Fugazi. Fugazi. Uh, while all this is going on, we do see the FBI team that's down there, which features an unexpected appearance from Paul Giamatti. Delightful. No, oh, me and Julio both popped huge when we saw him on screen. We were I, clinging to any bit of happiness we could get throughout this movie. It's perfect, too, because they do the, you hear his voice before you see him. So it's the, wait a minute. <laughs> is that, man, it's the rhino. Paul Giamatti has sounded the same since forever. So can you imagine when he was like a little kid and he still sounded like Paul Giamatti? Yes. Where is the fucking popcorn? I said Cocoa Pebbles. That's more George Costanza. I don't know what that was. Fun fact, uh, Paul Giamatti auditioned for for George Costanza. (laughs) Went to Jason Alexander. The basic game plan from Lefty here, and he's having Donnie assist with him, is Lefty wants to meet with Miami crime boss uh, Santo Traficanti Jr., who basically has run the territory for 50 fucking years. He wants to get in with him so he can set up an operation there. He wants to set up this meeting. He knows he likes boats. He's having Donnie try to find a boat. And here we have potentially our first uh, inter-franchise crossover, inter-promotional crossover ever in the history of the Contrarians that we did not plan for. I I could not believe it when it happened. And I just, I don't know. I'm not going to say that this is something good, but I'm just surprised that... Oh, no, we go from bad to worse. (laughs) Right. Well, in the sense, I wasn't talking about the movie, but I was talking about just in the game of life. The fact that I'm still getting stuff out of having watched American Hustle more than once. We can't fucking escape it. Right. It just keeps showing up, and I just, at this point, I don't know how to react. And Chaz sits there just with, like, the bad guy from Inspector Gadget with the cat. Good. Good. What happens is he's looking for this boat and they bring up, hey, Abscam, they had that big yacht that they used. You could use that. Now, to be fair, that you don't see that in American Hustle, right? You never see them like use a boat to, to ensnare the the congressman. I, I, I've blocked a lot of that movie out of my head. I, I think I would remember if there was a scene where, you know, Michael Pena wasn't a boat. But I do remember there's scenes where they wear 70s clothing and it's supposed to be funny. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, here eighties clothing. Here it's it's just basically we knew it was it before even before they said apps camp. They said you know that operation where they dress people as, as Arabs and just to try to to catch the congressman, and and then we just looked at each other and we we're like, that's fucking American hustle, motherfucker. It got back into the podcast. <laughs> I thought we were done with that. So they are able to successfully. Lend this fucking 100-foot yacht out. And they, they use the American Hustle boat, mm-hmm. apparently. The, and it becomes an American Hustle. There's plenty of women and men getting down and boogieing on that. Looking ridiculous. Uh, but plans, as plans go, plans go awry. Sonny Black got his finger in the pie. Did not mean for that to rhyme. Uh, and is able to meet with Trafficanti uh, before Lefty and basically set up his own operation in Florida. And Lefty immediately blames this on uh, Donnie Brasco. Yeah, the movie never makes it clear what happened, which I think it's just pretty lame. Because, obviously, we know, or rather they know, because this is based on a true story. They know if if Joseph Pistone, if Donnie Brasco was the one that tipped off Michael Madsen. Mm-hmm. They know. Yeah. Obviously, you know, he wrote a book about it and everything. But then, but the movie kind of plays it like, oh, we don't know. It just happened. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. <laughs> well, tell us. You know, we have every right. We're watching this goddamn movie. 
Now I have to fucking invoke FOIA to find out if he really knew or not. This is, uh, Pacino as his more sad sack ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, the score just goes to town. And he's fucking sitting, watching them have a meeting like a dog, watching the family have dinner just outside. Like, hmm. <laughs> it is very depressing. And Sonny straight up gangster talks Donnie and says, I own you now. And he's going to stick him in Florida for the operation. Can you think of anything more terrifying than Michael Madsen coming up to you and saying, I own you now? Tom Sizemore coming up to you and saying, I own you now. Excellent point. <laughs> Check and mate. Uh, Lefty and Donnie eventually make up. There, There is this frayed tension between them. But Tommy, uh, Lefty's son, overdoses. I didn't catch what drug he was overdosing on. I don't think they said, like... Donnie kept asking, and Pacino kept just shooting him away. It mm-hmm. was like that scene in Harry and the Hendersons, where they're like trying to get Harry to go away. They throw rocks at him, and Pacino's like, go back to Florida. It's, <laughs> it's for your own good. It is, pretty much. And then he breaks down in a rather human moment, and Donnie tries to comfort him. All the while, he's just lying to him. Yeah. I mean, why is Depp trying to pretend like he cares? Because this is not even part of the job. It's mm-hmm. not like the FBI asked him to go like hang out with Pacino at the hospital. Yeah. He was his job, his FBI undercover job is in Florida. But he came well, I guess he came to check on his wife, who's just completely done with him by now. Yeah. And then goes and checks on, on Pacino because why not? And then doesn't she change the phone number? Right. Oh, I think that's what happens. He tries to call from Florida mm-hmm. and they've disconnected the number. Didn't change the locks though, right? Because get- and Hesh couldn't like take that final step. She's she's still a nice girl. Well, uh, I mean, I just, I just in, the mo- in the movie, in the movie, yes. Donnie and Lefty make their way back to Florida. Uh, things are hot and popping at the King's Court. It looks to be a very viable, successful, um, fruitful venture that they've taken. When the local PD and man, they really go out of their way to make them seem like fucking. Florida Panhandle Hicks. That's the worst. What How you is New it? York guineas doing in our parts? I mean, no kidding. That's just some updated deliverance kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Where, how are you making the cops look so much worse than the gangsters? Yeah. I mean, 10 minutes ago, you were trying to make me feel bad for Pacino, mm-hmm. right? He's like left out that his son OD, that just he has no friends. And now the cops who are actually trying to put these murders behind bars, they get... You know, they are depicted as, as the worst of the worst. Yeah. They they don't just arrest them for not having a permit or something. Like they, they get them for not having a permit for the lion, right? Is that what happens? Yeah. And the gambling, he Donnie Brasco tries to say they're running a charity event or some shit right. like that. Yeah. But they, they go in and they just destroy that club. Mm-hmm. That's not lawful. No. Yeah, and it's just like like fucking pointless destruction right why would you do that they're just like breaking wine glasses and shit like one by one it's like what the fuck are you guys doing they cork a bottle and they just pour it on the floor <laughs> just looking into michael madsen's eyes the entire time madsen is just like writhing they're, yeah. they're having like he's writhing in small uh, slow motion it's like casey affleck trying to run back to the house and uh fucking what's that goddamn movie <laughs> manchester yes Exactly like Manchester by the Sea. Michael Madsen, Casey Affleck, two peas in a pot. The movie ends with Donnie Brasco crying and apologizing and saying we should have coffee sometime. And Madsen just, no, there's nothing there. (laughs) I I have a question, by the way. As we were talking about like weird depictions of police and law enforcement, that's how is it that the guy, the agent of Florida, uh, Rocco, Richie Gazzo. Richie Gazzo. How is it that he gets to be, like, the fun guy, right? Like, 
Depp is undercover and he's fucking miserable. He's tortured and he he's on his toes. And then they go visit Richie in Florida and he's just he looks like even more of a loser than Pacino. Uh, how is he alive? They should have at least gone all out if he was going to be the goofy guy and got like Daniel Stern or Jim Carrey or someone to play him. So you're like, okay, he's goofy, but he's charming. That's how he stayed alive yes. in, in this game. Or like a really random deep cut like Kevin Nealon or something they have play him. <laughs> or just go like even further off the reservation, just get Malcolm McDowell. And... <laughs> Completely no nonsense. He's, he's silly, but he's scary. <laughs> yes. Like his fucking villain character in Tank Girl. There you go. So the gang, Sonny and his uh, all his men are held uh, in the Florida jail. They eventually return back to Brooklyn. Sonny Black is just absolutely, as anyone would be in that situation, embarrassed. Uh, but they did salvage the money that was to go to Rusty, who is this omnipotent character that we don't really ever see. Do uh, we? Well, yeah, because I think it's implied that he's the guy that that got the cops, that called the cops on them. No, 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 no. Oh, that uh, was Sonny Red. That was Sonny Red. He worked with Traficanti to get the place Oh, he was with Traficanti. Yeah, okay. Rusty is I, just mentioned throughout the movie that this is a person that the mob consistently owes money to. I got I got my old white mobster guys confused. There are plenty of them in this movie. Uh, Rusty is actually Robert De Niro's character from American Hustle. <laughs> Deleted scene. Yes. For- you see him in his fucking green golf blazer. Dude, that is, I mean, this movie obviously, obviously was made before American Hustle, so really it was a missing opportunity on a Russell. Mm-hmm. No big surprise there. That, <laughs> that he didn't have the Nero at some point take a phone call where yeah. they're like, it's done. And it's just fucking Sonny Red on the other end of the... the... Sonny Black. <laughs> Sonny Black. Super deep cut just for people who watched this fucking movie 20 years before American Hustle. Yeah. But that's giving a Russell a bit too much credit. Everybody involved. <laughs> I, I bet you the Nero knew. Yeah, the Nero is all up on his on his mob trivia. Just sat on it. He's like, I ain't fucking saying nothing. <laughs> so yeah, Trafficanti and Sunny Red worked on this together because Sunny Red wants Sunny Black out of the game. Uh, Black and his crew become wise to this. They go to, I believe it's Sunny Red's home. It's someone's home. It's it's someone's home. Someone's and they know basement. Sunny Red's gonna be there, and they all just wait for them in the basement with fucking double barrel shotguns. And um, I mean the R rating is clearly there for the language. But I remember reading like the description. It's like brutal violence or intense violence, whatever the NPAA uses. Uh, yeah, this scene had violence in spades. Dude, this is... Uh, I don't know if you caught it because maybe I was laughing too hard. But uh, when... Because what they do, their big plan is they they get the lights off. So they, you know, they can't turn the light switch on on their way down to the basement. So Sonny Red and his two goons are walking downstairs. Crusher and low blow. Yeah. And they're like even talking to themselves, like rubbing their hands. They're like, they'll never see this coming. Oh, dude, it's so fucking Scooby Doo. They're just like, ah, we got Sonny Black, didn't we? We got him real good. And then the fucking Mook or whatever he calls him. And then they turn the light on, and they see Pacino, Madsen, and and Bruno Kirby with their shotguns out. And Sonny Red goes, "Oh no." That was like worse. As one than, would. It's like worse than Sam Jackson's uh, death rattle in Basic. <laughs> ah, that's pretty much what happens. They get yeah. shot, and there's a lot of screaming. It's and just the big messy. boy just is like, ah, like consistently just. He falls on top of Madsen, and then Pacino gets like a hammer and just hacks him to death with it. It's fucking brutal. And then they go and get Donnie, who's like out watching the car. That's his, his you know, he's the young boy. So that the whole movie, he always has to watch the car. Comes in, finds this pile of bodies, and they're getting the fucking silverware out to start hacking them up. 
And Nikki, uh, Bruno Kirby. Bruno Kirby. He's like, hey, let's go get this fat fuck. And then he turns around and fucking Pacino shoots him in the head. Taking it back a few scenes uh, to when Pistone was meeting with the FBI, uh, Nikki was at the same hotel, basically... Just doing some business on the side. Yeah. He was trying to create a narcotic ring, and he bought a shit ton of cocaine and had these plans of selling drugs, and he didn't disclose that to his boss, which is grounds for whacking, as Al Pacino (laughs) explains a bit later on. Uh, But they were led to believe he was the rat in the bunch, so he had to go. Right. Yeah, they they think that he's the one that that tipped the cops off and and did all the stuff. Uh, Depp Depp takes it really hard. He takes Kirby's death like, like he was his buddy. I think he's more just put off by the fact that he had to take a fucking saw and cut these bodies up. Not a good way to spend your Wednesday evening. Yeah, not not a lot of professionalism shown by this undercover FBI agent. He's he he mistreats his wife. He can't handle it when people that are obviously murderers and and deserving of bad fates, let's put it that way, you know, when they get hurt, he just can't handle it either. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't know. And this is, you know, speaking of the movie just earning its R rating or whatever. You want to jump back like a few scenes to when they go to this Japanese restaurant, and uh, I forgot all about that. Well, I don't blame you because that's just uncalled for. Yeah, <laughs> they Donnie Brasco doesn't want to take his shoes off because obviously that's where he has his wire attached, and gives this big MAGA speech to them about why we shouldn't have to bow down to other people's cultures. We won the war. Yeah, and then they just beat the shit out of this fucking maitre d at this restaurant right and then it's like he didn't need to but then he joins in and starts kicking the guy anyway Mm -hmm. and and then later he goes i guess to his hotel room or whatever takes his shoe off and starts listening to the to the recording i did not see a single tear of regret there stockholm syndrome baby what's going on uh because of this sunny black is named the boss he now Runs the territory. There's no more Sonnies. No, there's just the Sonny. Um, Brasco, again, takes Nikki's death really hard. Basically, he doesn't understand the mob way. And Pacino has to tell him this is kind of how it is. You know, I follow the boss. What am I going to do? I can't talk back. He had to go. I'm a spoke in the wheel. I'm a spoke on the wheel. Uh, the FBI has come a-looking for Joseph Pastone. They have not heard from him in some time. And despite her pure hatred for him at this point, Anne Heche just doesn't. She's a true mob wife. She doesn't say anything. Yeah, she has he smacked her by now. No, he hasn't, right? Because I was gonna say she knows what happens if she opens her mouth. That's why. Jesus, no, he has not. But yeah, she says, "Yeah, I, I saw him a few days ago. That is to say, I seen him. You know, that's basically the extent of what she gives them." Is this Anne Heche's? Uh... Oscar clip? Oh, no, 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 no. Her and, it's coming? Her and Depp, tra- I was about to say Travolta. Her, her card for life. Yes. Her and Depp compete for like the who owns the screen in a few scenes from now. Uh, Donnie is tasked with killing Bruno, who is Sonny Red's kid. They haven't heard from him in a while, and as Pacino says, as long as he's on the street, we're all in danger. Kind of a, a shame that Bruno was not also played by Bruno Kirby. Just, <laughs> you know, shame head. Mustache and, and, and shaved head. Pacino reassures he has a coke problem, so he'll surface before too long. Donnie returns home. He realizes he needs to get out of this, and he realizes the doors are closing in quickly. And what this scene where he's tasked with this killing, we see 
through his eyes because that's the majority of how uh, Travolta. (laughs) We see through his eyes and body language, as Johnny Depp is one to do, uh, that he knows this is not going to end well, but he cares greatly for Lefty. So the gears are turning in his head on how he can get him out of this. Why does he care? I don't know. What does what has Pacino done for for Depp other than just drag him into this world of murder and betrayal and lions? I don't understand. Well, he tells us in the next scene because he goes back and he tries to find his bag of cash at his house. He has three hundred dollars and three hundred thousand dollars in cash. He gets back and Anne Hayes has found it and she's hidden it. This is the part where tensions are building and Depp's getting more and more agitated, and Anne Hayes completely in the rights like you. You're fucking becoming one of them. And then he just decks her. And this is, to me, Anne Heche's Oscar scene. Just the way she reacts to it. And I love how she just takes it and then just goes and gets the bag and gives it to him. It's like, I just want you fucking gone. But then, but then the movie is like, ah, hold off. <laughs> You're not leaving. Yeah. And then she turns around and like, why, Donnie, why? <laughs> Please, give us an exposition. Yeah. And this is where Donnie uh, Pistone explains that it's because, you know, he stood up for me and he vouched for me. And if I, you know, turn myself in at this point, he's going to get a bullet in his head because of me. Yeah. And and it troubles me. And I think there's a single tear. Maybe. I think that that's that's CGI because I I didn't buy it. This is I I still don't understand. Okay, yes, he will probably get killed if if Depp leaves the operation. Mm-hmm. So what what has Pacino done that's any good to anybody? Yeah, he's just mad at him like fucking 20 minutes ago for killing Nikki. Right. I mean, he's a murderer. Mm-hmm. He's a criminal. He, it's not they never show him doing anything good for anybody. He like cooked some spaghetti early in the movie for his wife, his girlfriend. Uh he's even he doesn't even care for his son as much as he cares for Donnie. So is it just really all about about Depp's ego that you know Pacino gives him all this attention? So it's like, well, I kind of owe him. Yeah, I think that's a good part of it. Father's son. I don't. I don't know. Just some weird bromance. But yeah, to your point, Al Pacino hasn't really done many redeeming things throughout the course of this film so far, uh, and this all leads to a come to Jesus moment as. Uh, Lefty says we found Bruno Get your ass down to the pier They're sitting in a car together And This is where Depp tries to give him the money It's Like get out Get out you can do it We'll go ride the Black Pearl From sea to sea <laughs> And Pacino Because he can't let it lie He brings up fucking American Hustle again <laughs> He says uh, before we do that, you need to look at this, and you got to think real carefully about what you're going to say to me next. And it's an excerpt from Newsweek or a picture or something. It's the fucking yacht that Depp the, got. The yacht with Bradley Cooper like at the front, just going, I'm the king of the world. <laughs> and he says, that's a federal boat, and Depp tries to talk his way out of it. And at this point, I think Pacino, I think he knows, but it could be possible he's just dumb and believes what... I 100% believe that he's a fucking idiot and he doesn't know. Even though, I'll tell you when everybody should have noticed. When they were in Florida, they were having their little holiday and they're playing volleyball or everything. And all these gangsters have their shirts off. They look like shit. And Johnny Depp is the only one that's fit as a fiddle. <laughs> he looks great. Now tell me, which of these guys does not belong here? Who's more likely to be an undercover cop? I thought it was the scene where Johnny Depp wore the giant cowboy hat that clearly had a surveillance camera in it. 
they should have noticed then. The one where, like, after his his tape recorder gets smashed on his, on his boot, he just pulls his iPhone out of his uh, breast pocket. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, let's see. So after this long, intense conversation, they're still going to go for it. They, they do call it abscam in this scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they, I think Pacino goes like, abscam? You Ooh, know? Hua. Hua. American Hustle. <laughs> oh, Russell, baby. <laughs> And they go and find this Bruno character, and it's time to kill him, and it's up to Donnie to do it. And he cannot pull the trigger, literally and metaphorically. And Pacino's like, do it, do it, do it. And then the FBI's there. The big fucking floodlights come on, and they apprehend Donnie Brasco and Lefty. And God bless him, Pacino's just begging him, don't say nothing, Donnie. Don't say nothing. I can't tell if he's still believes that he is, in fact, not a cop, or he's just, like, trying to save face and then plead insanity at his trial. <laughs> he's just in front of Bruno, at yeah. least. Like, I had no idea. I got witnesses. But it's like, how how stupid do you have to be to believe that he's still part of the mob? Like, Pacino gets arrested. Like, they put, it, they put him against the boat. And they just kind of, like, walk Depp out. <laughs> they put Depp on their shoulders and they carry him <laughs> off the scene. I mean, they're patting him on the back and going, like, you're home, Joe. It's over. It's over, Joe. Donnie! <laughs> so, naturally, this leads to Sonny and his crew having visitors from the FBI that just splurp a couple of fucking 8x10s on the table of... I guess that's what Johnny Depp signs at conventions. And they're like, here's his 8x10s of, uh, you know, he's with the FBI. Just him looking miserable. Dude, in every one of them, yeah. He doesn't smile in this whole fucking movie. And Sonny says, yo, they almost had me going there for a second. And they're feigning, not believing it. And then Pacino's also like, whoo, I'm off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this really pathetic shot of... Uh... Madsen, Pacino, and just like the one guy that's not Bruno Kirby that was also part of the gang. Mm-hmm. And uh Potsy. Potsy. And they're No, it'd be duty. <laughs> the guy that you don't know. Yeah. Uh and they're they're just kinda like talking to themselves, but really it's it's almost like they're talking to the audience. We're like, there's no way that Donnie was a cop. Yeah. Nice try, guys. <laughs> uh, and then Pacino goes, Whoo. That's like a really dick move from the FBI, too, because they know that doing that basically means that Pacino's dead. Yep. And yet they do it anyway. Cold-blooded, man. That's, law enforcement does not come across as either a kind of profession that you want to pursue because, you know, you're a good guy. Uh, but also a kind of profession that you want to pursue if you want to make a living. Yeah. I mean, the next scene is Depp getting paid for his troubles. 500 bucks. 500 bucks. I know this was a while ago, but still. Yeah. It seems like for everything he went through, that's, I mean, I know we have to account for inflation and everything, but still. He gets a shitty little cracker, fucking Cracker Jack medal, and then 500 bucks. But before that, our closing scene with Al Pacino, he's sitting at home at fucking 11 or midnight or 6 in the morning, whatever it is. And he's got his suit on, and he's having his drink, and he gets the call, and he's like, okay. And he's been called for. And his wife's like, you got to go out this late? And Yeah. But hey, if Donnie calls, tell him, if it had to be anybody, I'm glad it's him. And then he goes, and he knows what's coming. Right, but why does he go? That doesn't make any sense. 
you know, he's yes, he was a loser, but he was still he kept talking about how many people he had killed. He's like 26 people. And then, you know, through this movie, he kills a few more. Go out swinging. Right. You're Al Pacino. I think he wants to go out with dignity, but he goes in his room and he takes all his jewelry off, keeps his wallet there and kisses his wife goodbye. And then Johnny Depp's given five hundred dollars and then the movie ends. You hear you hear a, a shot being fired after Pacino walks away mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, they got him really fast. <laughs> and then it turns out that it was Johnny Depp shooting at, you know, at the range, the, at the gun range. Just taking practice shots. Johnny Depp, uh, Joseph Pistone is acknowledged and rewarded for his hard work and service throughout this case. And his wife says, Joe, it's time to come home. It's over. And uh, and then we get this super depressing title card at the end that says that he's living, I guess, under the FBI, under the good Witness guy version of the Yeah. And uh, there's still a $500,000 hit, you know, on his head. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if you're, like, somebody that wants to be an FBI agent, how fucking discouraged you would be by this movie? It's like, wow, they turn you into a monster, they pay you in chump change, and then you have to look over your shoulder your entire life. Good job, movie. I mean, with that, that's why. <laughs> I don't imagine how many, you know, aspiring law enforcement officials watch this and go, yeah. On the other hand, you know, if you're considering being a mobster... <laughs> You're like, fuck, if Pacino can do it in this movie and he was a loser, anybody can do it. He got a lion. I got a real shot here. He got a lion. Yeah, and if Michael Madsen, you know, with that physique is considered attractive, sign me right up. I, I can do better than those guys in Florida. I'll, I'll remember to pay the cops off. <laughs> oh, mercy. My last note is if Donnie calls dot, dot, dot. Uh, my last note is, did anybody even acknowledge that Bruno Kirby was not the rat? Did they go to his... Uh, we, that's a deleted scene. Because the fucking uh, director's cut or whatever is a half hour longer. So so that's where uh, Michael Madsen goes to Bruno Kirby's wife's uh, house and it's like, so we made a mistake. So... If new information has come to light. Lefty fucked up. <laughs> Don't worry, I already took care of it. <laughs> And then the budding romance starts. And that's how the, that's, the different version is. Right. And his wife would be played by... Bette Midler. Jesus Christ. <laughs> In a classy machine. Oh, Sonny. All right. I think I'm ready to move this right along to Real Talk. All right. Hey, can I ask you something? Well, what's... Forget about it. What is that? Forget about it. It's like, uh, if you agree with someone, you know, like Raquel Welch is one great piece of ass. Forget about it. But then, if you disagree, like a Lincoln is better than a Cadillac, forget about it. You know? But then, it's also like if something is the greatest thing in the world, like Mingiro's peppers, forget about it, you know? (laughs) But it's also like saying go to hell, too. Like, you know, like, uh... Hey, Bully, you got a one-inch pecker, and Bully says, forget about it. Forget about it. Bully, forget about it. (laughs) Sometimes it just means uh, forget about it. All right. Thank you very much. I got it. Let me tell you something. I don't get this bow for lefty. Wow. 
forget about it. Fucking forget about it. And we're recording for Real Talk. All right, Real Talk for Donnie Brasco. That was a very difficult contrarian's corner as it takes some stretching to be very negative about this movie. There were, there were long stretches of the movie where I was like, how do I turn this into a negative? I told Julio when we were recording what I really dislike about doing this podcast when we do good movies is I get lost in the movie, and so my notes are very minimal. So it's... Uh, I mean, it's easy to recap. It's just difficult to find things to be negative about. Unless it's one of these fucking movies that's rated really high but really is shit, like American Hustle. Or if, or if it's a movie that's that we know, like, front and back. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you'd seen this movie once, right? Yeah. And I, I'd seen it a few times, but it's been, it's been a while. at least ten years since I've seen it. Same here. So, Donnie Brasco is one fucking hell of a flick, but at 80%, it does mean there's that 12 percent subsect of society that does not care for it what were these f- bitches saying um were they saying this movie forget about it i will forget about this movie <laughs> as soon as i submit my review i don't know uh rita kempley from the washington post said unfortunately the story is an inventive and newell's methodical approach to it verges on monotony uh Bridget Byrne from Box Office Magazine says it's hard to develop any sympathy for the film's nasty, manipulative humans, despite the best efforts of all involved in this newest land on the mean streets crowd. Desson Thompson from also the Washington Post says for all its treacheries, twists and turns, nothing really comes as a surprise. And finally, Marty Mapes from Movie Habit says... Pacino's performance is great, and the story seems to have an interesting take on human nature, but the bland mechanical direction make it not quite worthy of a full recommendation. Fuck off. I'm sorry, Mike Newell directed the hell out of this movie. Yeah, so to get through just the regular stuff that I always, the rigmarole, the semantics. Donnie Brasco, released on February 28th, 1997 with a budget of $35 million, had a box office return of just around $125 million, so definitely fucking held its worth. Um, written again by Paul Anastasio, directed by Mike Newell, who also directed what did I get pulled up here? Four Weddings and a Funeral, uh, Pushing Tin, Mona Lisa Smile. All those mob movies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Dance with a Stranger, Man in the Iron Mask, uh, oh, wow, we did Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Hey, everybody's got to make a buck. <laughs> and he did uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Then the guy who did, did Gravity, didn't he do Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Afghanistan? Yes. Yeah. The one where... Uh, Alfonso Caron. Yeah, the one where Harry and Ron and Hermione just get into war and they're looking for for the Taliban. I still have never seen a Harry Potter movie. Well, I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Very well. Um, yeah, starring Al Pacino, Johnny Depp. It's fucking great. It's it, one of the quickest two hours that we've gone through on this podcast, man. Fucking, uh, I'd be interested to see the director's cut or whatever the extended version is. Yeah, I wonder what what it adds because this movie doesn't feel like it was missing anything. Nope. It just just it's tight. It's yes. Just, Airtight, as they say. Uh, everything gets resolved. I didn't feel like any character was missing development. I, it could be that, you know, you shoot a lot of stuff, 
and then you realize that the actors are doing all the heavy lifting for you, so you don't need those extra scenes because you have Pacino and Depp and Madsen and even Kirby, you know? Mm -hmm. But I don't mean to disparage Bruno Kirby. It's just that I know him as a comedic actor. To suddenly see him in a mob movie is just weird, to say the <laughs> least. He does great. I mean, everybody does great here. Yeah, uh, everyone's wonderful. Now, this is a movie that I will always think of as Johnny Depp acting, like real acting. And that's not to say that, yes, he, I mean, of course he's acting when he's like, he's doing great work when he's being like Jack Sparrow or whatever. But just when we're doing the Travoltis in the most recent episode, and I compared him to Johnny Depp in the sense that I felt that the latter part of his career has been just playing just very big characters. Just very like, Johnny Depp, like, He'll have these different costumes on, but it's usually always with the same delivery. Right. It's not somebody that you can also identify as a, as a human person, right? Here, I mean, Depp is playing somebody that's just, that's human. And yeah. You're like, yeah, that could be me. That's somebody that I could see down the street, you know? He doesn't have, like, the weird voices. He has, like, the accent, you know, the Brooklyn accent that, I guess, gets more pronounced as the movie goes. But it's on. not kitsch. It's not... Not at all. Character. Uh, Caricature, excuse me. Yeah, I mean... Pacino is like virgin kitschy, but I guess that's also part it's of It's a the... relatively tame Pacino. For Pacino, yeah. this is very, very controlled. But also, I mean, I guess the argument would be that when you live in that world, you have to exude a certain persona. And there are moments in this movie, the quieter moments, where much like uh, Kirsten Dunst in Elizabethtown, where the facade comes down and you can see just more like regular Pacino. Yeah. You know, like when he's saying goodbye to his wife at the end, you know, he drops down the whole hoo -ah thing and he's just like, tell Donnie, I, I'm glad it was him. So good. Yeah. So effortless on both of their parts. Like it, we say, you know, it really, this is Johnny Depp acting because yeah. And the first pirates is a lot of fun, but like the subsequent 5,000 pirates movies, dark shadows, the Lone Ranger. Any any movie, really. I can't think of anything post uh, Pirates of the Caribbean where he's playing just a normal guy. A normal guy that's still interesting, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's he was in uh, Murder in the Orient Express last year. And he's still, he's kind of playing a mobster. He has like a He was outshone by uh, Josh Gad. Of course. Well, who wouldn't? I'm not going to hold that against him. But, you know, he's... We're, we're all human after all. <laughs> yeah. But he's still playing kind of – he didn't feel like a real guy, you know, and it's just that. And sometimes it works. I mean, I'm I'm happy that – obviously, it requires talent to do what he does when he goes big. Mm -hmm. You know, even like one of my favorite Johnny Depp movies, like Ed Wood, he's going big there. He's being really cartoonish and everything, right? Uh, oh, he did um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and um, Alice in Wonderland were the other ones where it was like, ooh. Quirky Johnny Depp. To put it mildly, <laughs> uh, you were asking me while we were watching, you were asking me about Black Mass, right? I have not seen it. It's, I mean, I've seen it. It's comparatively, of course, it's toned down Johnny Depp, but it's still Johnny Depp wearing like weird prosthetics and just not really being a recognizable human being. So I, I, I would say that's a no for me, dog. That's nice. I'm still, I, I think I count Donnie Brasco as his last performance were <laughs> 21 years ago well i mean i'm not saying that he's not talented i'm just saying that you know, i wish he he did more like this 
Oh, absolutely. That's something me and my dad have talked about a lot because he doesn't understand what I mean when I say, man, I wish he would do something. He's like, he's making like lots of money. I was like, okay. It's like Adam Sandler, not that Depp to compare wow. to compare Depp at his finest to Sandler at his finest, but in the same aspect, uh, I'd much rather see Punch Drunk Love again than another Grown Ups movie. Right. But the difference with that is, I, I know I understand the reasoning is like Adam Sandler. Well, I won't make as much money. I'm pretty confident if, if someone made a movie with Johnny Depp with him acting. Well, I don't know. He's got all that shit now. No. Yeah. Now, I mean, it's funny because. In the Travoltis, we were just uh, celebrating the fact that we made it through the Travoltis without Travolta being involved in any scandals. And then, of course, we just jump right into a movie starring Johnny Depp, who's just, you know, not not really at his best, uh, I guess, when it comes to how the, the public perceives him. Point uh, being, he's fucking phenomenal in this movie. He's... I, I This fantastic acting. I just... And it's so understated, too. That's the thing. I think maybe... Maybe if he had continued on this line of work, right, and you weren't thinking Jack Sparrow or the Mad Hatter when you think of Johnny Depp, mm-hmm. then this wouldn't surprise you as much. It wouldn't, it wouldn't hit you as hard. But but here, because it's Especially just... for you and I both, that like we have spent so much time around movies, and we hadn't seen this in like over 10 years, so to see it again, it's like, holy shit. It's, it's like when we saw Travolta in Blowout. Yeah. It's just like, wow, that's right. He can do this, too, mm-hmm. and, and do it so well. He's just... It's all inside. You know? The fucking scene where he's explaining to Paul Giamatti and the cop from uh, Kimmy Schmidt about what forget about it is. So yeah. fucking good, dude. And, of course, that's accented by Paul Giamatti. <laughs> What's forget about it? Uh, I remember reading that because this was an early year release. So by the time that award season came, it was just people had already forgotten. And uh, and there was not like big campaigning or anything, uh, but I remember reading that the one bit of campaigning they did was send the audio clip of that scene to just you know members of the nice. academy or whatever. I was like, oh, that's cool. Not enough, obviously, because no. they, I mean, nobody talks about Donnie Brasco as a as an award winner or an award contender or anything, but they well, should. And Donnie, I mean, I don't think Johnny Depp's performance would. Be in like the Donnie Brasco character would be as impactful if he didn't have, you know, the end to his yang. And in this fucking movie, he has two of them. He has Al Pacino, who's fucking great too. And like, all joking aside about her kooky personal life and whatnot, Anne Heche is fucking phenomenal. Oh, she's in this. so good. Yeah, and, and she does play the thankless role, right? Because mm-hmm. so much of it is just her complaining. But I think that she, what she pulls off is that. You can see that she can handle him. Mm-hmm. Much like, uh, oh, man, I don't remember the name of the actress, but Ray Liotta's wife in Goodfellas. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, she she can handle him. She mm-hmm. she can. It's not just that she'll put up with the shit, but she'll also just smack him if he needs to be smacked. And here, obviously, she's the one that gets smacked in this movie, but still, you know, she doesn't. And, you know, I was talking earlier in the Contrarian's Corner about Depp acting with his eyes and body language, and I complimented the scene in the first portion. That's how good it was and effective to me when – he hits her, and then she just like looks at him like you're a little bitch, like yeah. and just like I, I want to say no sells it, but obviously she's startled by it, but she doesn't like emote or anything. She's just like fuck you, you're not a man. It, yeah, it's so fucking good. It's and good. obviously she doesn't say that. Just like with the, it, it, that's how good the acting is. Is like she says nothing, and I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really good. Also, in the the first time that we see them together. 
when he comes in for Christmas and there's nobody in the house and they have this entire scene in the kitchen that's just so passive aggressive mm -hmm. and they keep saying they're saying nasty things to each other but also shrugging them off at the same time it and it's just I, I just loved it because I was like okay this is how you figure out their dynamic mm -hmm. right she's angry at him and yet then you find out that well she she kind of like sent the kids away so they could have the house to themselves it's, yeah the whole thing is just so good uh, and yeah you, you especially because she has so much less screen time than everybody else right you, so she has maybe four scenes to really make an impact and and she accomplishes it yeah so and you know I don't really know who's the good guy and who's the bad guy but as uh, Kenny Omega would say every fairy tale every fairy tale needs a hero and it needs a villain I guess the closest thing to the bad guy in this is Michael Madsen and man he's had such a roller coaster career it's easy extraordinarily easy to forget like I remember when we watched Pulp Fiction together at the theater and I was like holy shit but he's like scary Reservoir Dogs unless what did I say Pulp Fiction oh I'm sorry yes like, yes, when he his his turn on Vincent Vega was amazing. He looked like John Travolta. I apologize. Well, weren't they supposed to be brothers? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a Vega. Um, Reservoir Dogs. Watching that, and, uh, but this it's like he's intimidating, scary, funny. Like he is so commanding in the role that he has, and yet he has those moments where they're all losers. Right, even even the top dog of that group, which is Madsen, you know, they're they're just amateurs. They're amateurs. They're you know, Sonny Red and his gang are really the ones that are the popular kids, mm -hmm. and uh, and it's so well accented because like when they're in Florida, Michael Madsen's like, I'm gonna you know, he's gonna take over the world type thing. It's it's great. Yeah, he's he's really good. I. I think this is the first thing I ever saw him in. I saw this before Reservoir Dogs. So when I saw Reservoir Dogs, I was like, oh, it's the guy from Donny Brasco. It's Sonny Black. Uh, yeah, I think a lot can be said about um, Johnny Depp, but this may be my favorite Pacino role. Maybe. I need to, I need to, I need to I think mean, about it. Godfather's something else. I, I don't want to discredit that, but man... Because it's like this perfect mix of vulnerable Pacino, yes, mixed with still got some badass tendencies to him. Who uh, Pacino? Yeah, and get shit done. But you know, we joke about it, but those scenes are like so well presented. Where he's the old guy that never got the break, and he's really bitter about it. And it's fucking great. Yeah, the the bit with the the warm sidewalk. It's just so good that. His it, and you can feel the heartbreak too. Mm -hmm. It's it's so well constructed. Uh, I had forgotten the the specifics. I just remember that at some point he feels betrayed by Depp, but I forgotten how bad it was. And you really cringe by the time it happens. I'm so <laughs> fucking disgusted in you. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then he has that moment towards the end when you know he he brings up American Hustle and uh, he puts the gun to his head. Oh, dude! And I was just like. like uh, on edge and yeah it, it's so fucking it's one of those scenes that you could have seen the movie 500 times but still it's like oh and it's one of those things too i would we've talked about this before on this podcast if you're first time listening julio and i both find scarface to be very not for us and i find it to be overrated yeah um i would so much rather watch this where 
he's and you know people always say that's the quintessential quintessential Pacino role, but to me that's just a crazy guy. This is like I'm a, still a badass, and if you fuck with me, I'm gonna fuck you up type thing. But I I can still present these vulnerabilities. And I was talking about the effortless thing when the fucking uh, King's Court gets raided. And they're all getting arrested. He's getting pat down at the bar, and he looks so annoyed. Like, yep. he's not even, like, selling. He just, like, spits a cigarette out, and he's just sitting, standing there. Like, all right, let's get this shit over with. The next scene, when they're in the in the jail cell, it, they all look like shit. And Pacino's hair is just like... Dude, th- there's, like... I would say there are scenes in this. There's only one scene in this, in my opinion, that is played purely for comedy. Um, but that shot like the contrast of going from the chaos at the king's court to all of them and their fucking stupid suits just sitting in the jail cell like what do we do now uh i didn't bring it up in the first portion because there was no really way for me to spin it being negative about it but the scene played for comedy is when the the money the no okay go the attorney the da whoever it is they're like fuck uh, they're in the airport with Michael Madsen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, he's going to make us. And then he comes up, and he's like, hey, Joe. And he's uh, you know, saying his name, and, and he just punches him in the face. And Michael Madsen's like, what the fuck? Grab my cock. I don't know. Sicko. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the scene with the money where um, on Christmas or Christmas Eve, he gives Pacino an envelope with cash. Pacino gives him an envelope with cash, and then as he's leaving, Pacino asks him for money, and then he just takes the envelope. He's like, oh, no, you have it here. And then he takes it. That's pretty good, too. Um, that is funny. I love that, too, about Pacino's character. He's so old school. He still thinks, you know, just give someone an envelope full of cash. It's a sign of respect. But also, he's just he's such a loser that he's always broke. Yeah. So he's always, always asking him to pay for stuff. Uh, I think when they're getting uh, they're getting the card... You know, which is also kind of heartbreaking when he gets the car that's like from one friend to another mm-hmm. for for the mob boss in Florida, Traficante. Uh, yeah, and uh, and then they get to the counter and it cuts back and forth between them and then the the FBI guys listening, like Jamari and the other guy. But you can hear him asking asking Donnie to pay for the car. Yeah, and also the main thing I remembered about this movie was the Pacino never rolls down the windows, but he's smoking with the windows up, and then every time. Depp rolls him down. Eh, you're going to kill me with that draft. Yeah, what a hell of a movie to jump back into our regular uh, cycle for. Yeah, I, I think the one thing that needs to be discussed, just because it was brought up more than once in the negative quotes, is just Mike Newell's direction. And, I mean, not being flashy doesn't mean that you're not directing a movie the proper way. No. This movie wasn't a mob movie about like fucking shootouts and right. like car chases and shit. It's a character piece and it's it, about a, a a relationship. You you need to have the discipline. Uh, multiple relationships. Right. But you need the discipline to just let the actors act. So if you have Johnny Depp and Al Pacino and Michael Madsen and Hesh like just doing this great work, all you need to do is just put the camera in the right place. And mm-hmm. the right place might sometimes not be the kind of place that gets you noticed as a director, yeah. but it's still it's the right place. You know, you just just let them act and that's that's what he does here. So that's that's great. And I mean, you're going down his filmography. I I mean, I don't remember the the fourth Harry Potter movie, I probably need to rewatch it before I say that it sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh but I mean, Four Ways and a Funeral. Yeah, his filmography was not like fucking Joe Carnahan or anything like that. <laughs> In terms of just senseless, mindless action, and that, yeah, I think, um, those reviews you read for the negatives, 
to me were like almost polar opposite of my reaction to it. Like yeah. calling it slow, poorly directed. Like to me again, it was like a fucking blitzing two hours. Like we went through it really fast, and I just thought it was all perfect. The dialogue was fucking excellent. And... I, I wonder if some of it just comes from expecting a very specific kind of mob movie, mm -hmm. and then you get this one, and it's like, well, that's not. I mean, why am I watching the losers of the, you know, of the mobster squad? You know. Those people wanted a movie about uh, Sonny Red. <laughs> and the said, successful mobsters. Right. Yeah. The, one, the, the cool guys. I mean, these guys, their big hits are just stealing uh, parking meters. There's that. I forgot scene, about that. Pacino's trying to break just the parking meter. with a hammer. They are fucking like the ragtag loser squad of mobsters. But at the end of the day, they're still violent fucking criminals right yeah. i mean that's the trick of the movie that that's why that scene's necessary it's really fucking violent but it's it's there because in my opinion everything else they had done up until that point had fallen apart so that scene where they kill those three dudes and fucking chop them up is there to remind you they're still fucking the mob well there's that and then the scene with the at the japanese restaurant oh where, where yeah you're just like oh yeah monsters yeah and the best part of that, like, obviously, there's no best part, but uh, it escalates so quickly. Right. They just go from, like, okay, we're going to eat to just, like, beating this guy within an inch of his life. And that's a really good part with Depp, too, because he shows, like, the pity. He tries to help the guy up, and the guy swings at him, and then he fucking starts beating him up. It's a really good descent into madness scene. Fucking hell of a movie. Hell of a movie. And it's one of those movies that's easy to get lost in um, just... Oh, Donnie Brasco, forget about it. I assume that's what a lot of people think of when they see it. But yeah, I can see it. Like you, or hear it. Can you imagine like now that's been so long and you just you're just somebody who doesn't know the movie, uh, uh, just a modern audience member, and you see, oh, it's a mobster movie with Pacino and Johnny Depp. Then you think you know what you'd be getting into, and you might even not just watch it because you're like, well, I need to see Pacino. If you've only seen again. their work post two thousand, right? It's yeah. like, this is this a comedy? <laughs> Uh, so it would be a pleasant surprise. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, um, kind of surprised it's only eighty eight percent. Yeah, I, I, it was also I thought it would be ninety and up, but give, give this big bad boy a solid A, man. Yeah, it's it's still you know, I guess it didn't make as big a splash as it should have, and a lot of that to me seems the release timing. Yeah, mid February, end of February. Who the fuck releases a movie then? Yeah, what the hell? This yeah. is this is pre. Uh, 300 you know <laughs> those were really as 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 bad release dates as september yeah you know it's like january september man that's fucking doomsday oh episode 68 in the books up next nice episode 69 <laughs> when they uh, open the books <laughs> to page 69 <laughs> they will find buffy the vampire slayer from 1992 with Luke Perry, and I always forget her fucking name. She dated Alan Rickman Not when Sarah she was Michelle 17, Taylor. and he was like fucking 40. What? Yeah. Was she was she trying to slay him? Hey -oh. I said Alan Rickman. That's fucking Snape, right? Yes. Okay. I meant Alan Thicke. Uh, oh, dude. Okay. <laughs> Christy Swanson uh, dated Alan Rickman Alan rolling Rickman. in his grave. <laughs> What the fuck are you talking Hello, about? Hello, Christy. <laughs> Alan Thick dated uh, Christy Swanson in 1986 when she was 17. He was 42, or he was 40 at that point in time. 
They got engaged when she was 19 and he was 42. That's weird. Yes. At the same time, it's Hollywood. I guess. Even, like, by societal standards. Even though it's, like, legal most places, I think. If you're 21 dating a 17-year-old, that's still, like, what the fuck, man? He was fucking 40. (laughs) Definitely old enough to know better. How is it that nobody just, like, jumped in? She was this close to Luke Perry. What was she doing? <laughs> she could have jumped on that gravy train. I mean, she was a gorgeous woman. Uh, but we'll get to uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was you telling me that fucking Joss Whedon basically disowns it, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I don't have the quotes. I remember reading that and just him. Well, I mean, the, the whole point of the TV show is getting it right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he wrote the screenplay. They didn't. His vision didn't translate. Uh, and then... He did the TV show, which is very different from the movie, and that's you know, that's the official version. That was a big movie for preteen Alex. That was one that got rented from the Waterville, Ohio library quite often because it was PG thirteen. Um, I thought Christy Swanson was really hot, and you know, I thought and Luke it, Perry made you <laughs> gave me the vapors. <laughs> yeah, made me question what I was learning, and that's probably the last time I saw it. So that's probably why I have a good opinion of it. I was like 12. So I was like, yeah, this is great. We'll see. I'm excited to revisit it. Um, and then we're going to do our Halloween bonus episode. Yes. And then we still need to figure out what we're going to do for episode 70. Yeah. So episode 70. Is a gray area. It's a gray area. And the the idea that we're floating around Contrarian's headquarters was to uh, have four movies, four potential movies we can do for the 70th uh episode mm-hmm. and just do a twitter poll uh Ooh. and then just have people vote and whichever gets the most votes uh is the one that we do i'm down so uh do you remember which ones we were talking about because i know i had them and but i don't have them on this thing. i don't i want to say it was uh secret life of walter mitty no 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 because these are halloween related or horror related remember because it's october Ooh, okay so yeah walter mitty will be our 80th i guess because we've Jeez. been pushing that one out for a while. We have. Uh, we can we can set that in stone now because that movie is fucking fantastic. Uh, no, okay. So I know you brought up Frey vs. Jason, which is like in mm-hmm. the 50s. Mm-hmm. Wolf, the Jack Nicholson movie. Okay. It's uh, 62%. Uh, Brandon Fraser's The Mummy, which is 57%. Brandon. Brandon. Like Brandon Curtis. And then, uh, and then the original Saw, 49%. Ah. So... All those, I think, movies that, that we can do something with. Uh, and after the phenomenal success of our last Twitter poll, where it was proven that the way I organize my Blu-rays, uh, my Criterion Blu-rays is Like right a way. fucking psychopath? That's true. Moving along. Uh, <laughs> yes, by feeling. Um, so we'll put that out for a vote. And then our Halloween bonus episode, we're going to be tackling Halloween four and five. We're still tinkering with the mechanics of that, but it's going to be something we haven't done before. Pretty excited about that. Uh, Moving along now to plugs, our usual suspects, Uh, festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks, opening track, last stand, closing track, summer of 99, their album, don't let me use you. Um, Our logo was designed by Hans Ruthgeser from the Nacion Combi podcast. He uh, he can do your logo if you wish so. Just contact him. Uh, his email address is mildemonios at hotmail.com. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. Or you can find him on Twitter at mildemonios. 
And like I said, he has a podcast it's about Peruvian stuff mostly. Uh, it's also in Spanish. If you if you speak Spanish, just listen to it. If you don't speak Spanish, learn Spanish and listen to it. Uh, it's called Nacion Combi. All right. So for personal plugs this week, I have a few quick ones to blitz through. So I can use the word blitz in this podcast. I do approve. Um, number one, I tweeted about this yesterday, but part of my thing is uh, with the way I play video games, I don't really keep up with what's hot, what's not. Um, usually when I discover a video game, it's long after the public conscious has stopped caring about it. So I just started playing Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, which I think is from like two or three years ago. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit, this is fucking awesome. But yeah, I, I think there's been three Call of Duty games since then. So Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, the zombie game, and it is so fucking cool. I've been playing a lot of that recently. Uh, number two, Ozark's back, baby. Uh, I haven't gotten too far into it because I just want to fucking watch it all. So I'm waiting for like a day where I can just go through it. God, I love that fucking show. And it hits you right off the bat. So <laughs> Jason Bateman is fucking great. And lastly, um, been trying to just watch two to three movies a week just to keep myself kind of fresh, reduce the amount of wrestling that I'm watching. And movies that you haven't seen or just that like a mixture okay. dude i started watching this movie called silent house with elizabeth olsen it was so fucking boring the one that's just all one take yeah i, I never watched it but i, I remember i've tried a couple times and it's so boring but i watched up in the air which is fucking phenomenal i think i talked about it in the last episode anyway hadn't watched it all the way through in at least 15 years watched the truman show the other day uh -huh. what a fucking masterpiece <laughs> that movie is it, it's I think it's one of those things that's been lost kind of in time because the premise of it to today's generation doesn't sound really all that wild. It's like, of course we would watch somebody yeah. <laughs> if there were cameras on them. But I know it's often often been talked about to, uh, to the point of nauseam, but Jim Carrey should have gotten a Best Actor nomination for that movie. It, it's so wonderful. And the tie-in between that and Ozark, Laura Lenny's so funny in that. How can I be expected to work under these conditions? <laughs> uh, phenomenal. Excellent movie. If for any reason you haven't seen The Truman Show or if you're just needing to kill two hours, definitely watch that again because, God, I love that movie. And I forgot what a fucking heel fucking Ed uh, Harris is in that movie, dude. Um, and again, Paul Giamatti. When he's he, everywhere. He's like ordering him to send the waves on him. I won't do it. <laughs> Give it to me, damn it. <laughs> so, Yeah. Watch Ozark, watch Truman Show. You've probably already played Call of Duty three years ago when it was released. <laughs> play it again. Play it again. It's fun. It's still good. Uh, it's got the bad guy in it is the cat from, what's that show on HBO everyone fucking lo loves? The, the Sopranos? The Dragons. Oh, uh, Game of Thrones? Yes. Which of the bad guys? It's like a... No, no, no. Like the bad guy in the game was played by the actor like they did like the whole body scan and like face scan and uh, the john snow the guy you're named oh after. really mm -hmm. and his henchman's conor mcgregor and so like when they showed up i was like wait what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> I, I i did not know that um what you got for us julio i got first of all like i said on twitter i i have to replug furious timber from our friends at uh we watch a thing nice i so they just released the first installment, which is the first two Fast and Furious movies. But if you're a patron, which I am, you you've already you got access to all four episodes, so all eight movies 
reviewed by them. Uh, all in one day, they start like at five in the morning, I think, and they went down to like 10 p.m. or so. God bless. For the last two, they were heavily drinking because there was a, they asked for drinking games, uh, and you know, people like us submitted them. Yeah, uh, it's a lot of fun, uh, especially if you're familiar with the franchise, which I am, and uh, I just. It's all the lead up to their fiftieth episode, which is you know the last installment. So it's it's really good. I cannot recommend it enough. I will play the the or I'll send you the their promo so you can play it at the end of the episode here. Excellent. Uh, but that, yeah, definitely. Uh, if you're not listening to we watch a thing now, it's a good time to jump on so you can enjoy their their take on Fast and Furious. Which by the way, they're doing this because they needed to free up a month. They you know basically recorded four episodes in one day because Billy, one of the hosts, uh, he just had a daughter. So he needed to take time Congratulations. off. Congratulations, Billy, uh, on both the daughter and Furious Timber finally <laughs> coming through. Um, now, uh, movie-wise, I just watched the latest John Cho vehicle. Yes. Have you seen the trailer for it? Did yes, you know I saw you it? tweeting about it. Searching. Dude, so good. I. You got a big old boner for those fucking unfriended movies. Can't lie. I mean, it's the proof is in the pudding. The pudding, it's still there. It, and it, it, yeah, because you like that episode of Modern Family where they do this. Also, yeah. listen. As long as you do it well, I'm I'm all in. That's it. it Hashtag kinda, all in. It made me think of of you know back when uh, the the uh, you know what do you call it like you know when Blair Witch came out and then uh, the found footage yeah bad started right and at first we were like holy shit i can't believe they did this how is it that nobody thought about it and it's so cool and then like a few years down the line you're just sick of it because everybody's doing it right uh i guess at some point this will happen where we're just gonna be sick of watching movies that are just all the desktop movie the desktop movie the laptop the iphone movie whatever you call it but so far so good i mean (laughs) they are three for three four for four if you count that that episode of uh, modern family they're and here's the thing. I'd watched the trailer for this movie, and I thought it looked ridiculous. I I figured I would watch it at some point, but it's not something I was going to make time for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Eddie mentioned at work that it was like 90-something percent fresh in Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. And not that I put stock on Rotten Tomatoes at all. Obviously. Obviously. You've listened to the show. But it kind of made me go and like watch it just so I could like tear it down. So I went in predisposed to not liking it, and Alex, within five minutes, that movie had me. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to spoil anything, but it has a fantastic opening sequence, and then it's just really well crafted. That's the thing, because it would be so easy, I think, to just take the easy way out uh, when you're making a movie that's just basically a computer screen, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but no, they they really they've thought this world through and they really worked on the details, which is much like they do in in the unfriended movies. You know, yeah. the two of them I've liked them a lot because they they also paid attention to detail. But this is different. I mean, this is not a horror movie. It's more of a sort of like mystery thriller. Yeah. So you could argue it's even more complex. You know, you can't just like default to to like jump scares or anything. It's just like nice. really, it is it's great. John Cho, like he's. I guess it's no surprise that he can carry a movie, but still, you know, he just owns this movie. It's just, it's his fucking face on the screen <laughs> most of the time. It's either that or just the desktop where you see him, like, clicking and typing stuff. Uh, just a lot of fun. And, of course, you know, it's released at the end of the summer where the competition is not as strong. You know, they yeah. didn't, it's like, 
well, Crazy Rich Asians has been like taking over the box office for the past few weeks, but it's such a completely different movie that I, I think it's it's a smart strategy to release it at the end of August, beginning of September, you know, where it can get some attention. Uh, I it's at ninety four percent, like what I mean, you know, for the people that see that Run Tomatoes percentage and they think that it means that it means it's a you know a critically acclaimed movie. You know that it's it's a reflection. It goes of into the whole like thing about like it's not ninety four percent like Donnie Brasco's eighty eight percent exactly. Yeah, but it is as far as like it's a fucking entertaining movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Uh, Eddie also mentioned that the, a lot of those positive reviews were like two and a half stars reviews. You know, which again, well, of course, yeah. You know, it, it's part of the problem with the way that people tend to read Rotten Tomatoes, but it's not a problem for the movie. So I'm glad whatever gets people to watch this movie, I'm happy for it because I think it definitely deserves the audience. Nice. Uh, so, yep, I I shall save. I have a couple other plugs that I think I'll save for my Buffy uh, section. Sounds like a plan. So that's going to conclude uh, episode 68, Donnie Brasco. Uh, again, episode nice. 69 is going to be Buffy the Vampire Slayer, so we'll catch you next time for that. In the meantime, as always, we appreciate however you listen, if you stream us, download us, whatever, through iTunes, SoundCloud, our main website. We just appreciate the support. Uh, In the meantime, from Julio and myself, that's going to do it for us on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, am doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful.